Welcome to the Symposium of the Lotus Eaters. Today for episode 30, we're joined by Carl. Hello. And we're going to talk about the rest of the Nicomachean Ethics. Now, the rest of the Nicomachean Ethics involves books 5 to 10. Mm -hmm. Roughly speaking, book 5 is about justice. Book 6 is about the intellectual virtues, especially wisdom and practical wisdom that Aristotle calls phronesis. Book 7 is about weakness of will. Books 8 and 9 are about friendship. And book 10 is a sort of summary that talks about the good life and its link to politics. Now, we need to remember that Aristotle is operating within the eudaimonistic framework. And he sort of agrees with Plato that the four cardinal virtues are courage, temperance, justice, and... Prudence. Prudence. So, he talks about temperance and uh, courage in book three. Mm. Book five is about justice that we're going to talk about right now. And book six is about wisdom. So let's start with justice. Um, Aristotle thinks that justice is one of those words that is very frequently talked about. And uh, of course, we have all kinds of justice. And he says that people talk about it and they frequently miss the different kinds of justice. Mm. And because these kinds of justice are really close to each other, they are not aware of this. They mm. miss the fact that there are distinct kinds. And they think that whenever we talk about justice, it is blindingly obvious, completely transparent uh, with respect to its meaning, what we are talking about. Mm. And he says that this is not the case. And one of his, the distinctive aspects of his methodology is that he starts by saying, let us examine how we use the concept. Let us examine some conventional meanings of the word justice. So he starts and he says, if we really look upon how we use justice, we'll see that we use it in all sorts of senses. Now, for instance, if we looked at the world today, social justice would be something like a term for the desired outcomes of some people. Mm. But he would say that if we really look closely, there's a distinction to be drawn between what he calls universal justice and particular justice. And he says, in order to understand a concept, we frequently have to understand its opposite. So he says, let us start questioning what injustice is. And let us see what are the various kinds of injustice. And by implication, several kinds of justice will correspond to them. And he says that if we look, the first kind of justice that comes to mind is has to do with breaking the law. And the second justice has to do with unfairness. So let us talk a bit about this because I'm not entirely certain that Aristotle in this chapter talks about um, is, is really... I think he could phrase it better because it seems as if he implies that all laws are good laws and mm. the people who <clears throat> break them mm. are bad. Yeah. But here's the response would be that this is sort of premature. This is one notion of justice. Maybe you have an, a, another notion of justice in mind. And that is the notion of fairness. So I said, initially we may thought, we may be thinking that we're talking about the same thing, mm. but we're talking about something different. One is way more ethical than the other. So I, I think that there's not actually much, or there shouldn't actually be much of a distinction between breaking the law and unfairness. Right? The, ideally, 
the laws are fair and represent society's attitudes towards fairness. Now, I appreciate that I'm coming from a very English perspective on that because, I mean, if you're in the Islamic world, for example, you'd be like, well, there's a divine law given by God. And so whether you think it's fair or not is actually the problem is with you and not God, obviously. Um, but I don't have that view. I have the view from the common law, which is a sort of revealed law about society's preferences. And this is actually something that's coming up with the sort of Nigel Farage banking thing now, where I'm seeing Americans giving their takes and saying, yeah, well, what about the bank's right to deplatform someone? You know, that legally they have the right. It's like, yeah, sure. But the question is, do we serve the laws or do the laws serve us? And if the laws are actually a sort of revealed value system of what society views as being fair, then actually we're totally at liberty to say, well, actually the law needs to change. So the banks can't just deplatform people arbitrarily because of political or moral reasons. Uh, or if we serve the laws, then yeah, Nigel Farage is out on his ass and he's going to be made impoverished and homeless and destitute like old blind Belisarius because screw him the law says, and the law is timeless and immutable and set forever in the stars. And so, the, the, like I said, the question really comes down to, are the laws for us or are we for the laws? And in an ideal world, the laws are for us and they are a reflection of what we view fairness to be. And so the distinction between law and justice is blurry at best. I think that this raises some really interesting questions in the philosophy of law, such mm. as whether laws are just by definition or whether we can evaluate laws as being just just or as unjust. A, just as a quick spoiler, I don't think laws are just by definition. Uh, uh, I, we, we do have a broad yeah. obligation to follow the law, but we are able to make moral judgments about law. And if there is a particular law that's unjust, for example, slaves aren't allowed out after 8 p.m. or something, uh, we might say, well, hang on a second, there are a few legal uh, prescriptions here that are actually something I would like to challenge on moral grounds. So um, it's, it's, not, it's not all one way or, or the other, basically. I agree with you. And this gives us an interesting perspective here, because on the one hand, we could see that there is a notion of justice that has to do with following the law, mm. but we could say that this sort of justice could be unjust in another sense. If laws are unfair and we have moral reasons to react against them, then it could be simultaneously just to follow them and unjust to do so. Absolutely. And vice versa. It could be just in another sense mm. to break them, but unjust in the previous sense. Yes. But there is no real paradox here because Aristotle would say that, again, what we are doing is we are looking upon how these two notions of justice interact. Mm. And he would proceed and he would say that there is a further distinction if we really look into it. And he says that the former is what is called universal justice. Mm. And universal justice has to do with so what he says, it's sovereign virtue. And what he says here is that it's the kind of virtue that Plato has in mind or the other sages have in mind when they talk about virtue as a whole. Mm. And he says, but, but he makes something weird here. He makes a weird move. He says virtue or justice and virtue are simultaneously the same and different. And I must say that I'm not entirely convinced by his uh, claim here and for the following reasons. He says, Justice is virtue as a whole, as it manifests in our relations to other people. Right. Because I, I actually view justice as uh, the, the appropriate assignment of 
things to people in the way that they deserve, so people getting what they deserve. And so sometimes justice <clears throat> is a murderer being hanged, uh, whereas justice could also be um, a person not having something stolen from it. You know, it's it's about what a person has earned. So the the I, I could there is definitely some connection with virtue and vice uh, with justice, but it's not as I think Aristotle has really laid out there. What he says is that if we look upon virtue as a whole, hmm. um, virtue as a whole can be something that is possessed and can be seen in the individual. It doesn't hmm. have to be necessarily other regarding or other related. But he thinks that justice is virtue as a whole, but it is other related. And what I don't get here is hmm. why does he say that it is a different thing? Because if he talks about the same thing as having manifestation in different contexts, one is the individual context and the other mm. is the social one or the interpersonal one. Why not just say that v justice is virtue, it is the same, but I have a different name for the manifestation as opposed to the thing. He has a sort mm. of weird way of phrasing it. I mean, I think he is right that justice is relational. It, it is regarding other people and because I mean, you know, if you're on a desert island on your own, there's, the concept of justice or injustice doesn't exist. Would it not exist in the former sense, in the sense of there being no laws that we break? Or would we say that, for instance, there are some cases where we could be acting against ourselves uh, uh, well, I, I even in an island? <clears throat> I don't think you can commit an injustice against yourself. Um, I think an injustice has to be done by an outside party to you or you to an outside party. Mm. Um, and there'd be no point of laws if you were the only man in the state. Yeah. Uh, so the, I, I do think that the concept of justice is fundamentally social and is, of course, a consequence of man being a social animal. You know, we need to, we need to know when someone has acted improperly to someone else. If you're on your own, that's just not a concern, right? So... I do, I do think he is right that justice is regarding others. I don't know if you need to call it a virtue, though. Because a virtue, like you say, it's not regarding someone else necessarily. Um, it could be that it's just within yourself. You could demonstrate all manner of virtues alone on a desert island. So I don't know if we'd call it... A, I would have described justice as a state of affairs. Okay. As in uh, an act or a consequence or the current existence of the world, there, there is justice or injustice present in that, which is a kind of metaphysical moral claim that we are making about our judgment of the state of the world around us, rather than the way he, he frames the virtues. I don't, I don't think I'd go along with that. I have the impression he would agree with you in, in one sense, hmm. in the sense that he would say that if we look again on the concept of justice, it can function as a property of various different things. Mm -hmm. So we could talk about just outcomes and unjust outcomes, as well as just and unjust states of affairs. But he would say that, for instance, we also talk about the just person. In this case, justice is the property of a, of a, car of a person. And he would say that it is a sort of virtue, a sort of hmm. disposition to behave hmm. well. You could say. And... No, no, I, I... So I don't there, think that... There is definitely that he sense. He wouldn't disagree with what yeah. he said. There, there is definitely that sense, although I can't help but feel that when we say a person is just, um, we're not necessarily 
I feel that there's a different word that we could be using, but it's not springing to mind okay. at the moment. Um, but there, there, I, I, there is definitely that second sense of using it, which is fine. But we wouldn't say that person possesses justice, yeah. right? That, that he is a just person in his habits and temperament and judgments, right? Fine. Uh, but that person doesn't possess a property of justice. And so justice is something else, you know? Yeah, so he would proceed and he would say that there is another kind of justice that is a bit more particular. Mm -hmm. Because if we focus on identifying justice with virtue, then virtue is, you know, whenever we talk about someone being virtuous, we would talk about them being just in relation to other people. Mm. But he says that there is a sort of different particular justice. And we see this, for instance, in cases where people act well without necessarily acting from other virtues, which is corresponding to, which corresponds to people who behave unjustly without manifesting all the vices. So, for instance, he, he, he would say something like, the person who gets a prostitute mm -hmm. and pays for a prostitute is acting licentiously. The pimp is not acting licentiously, but is acting unjustly. Yeah. So he says that there is a way of manifesting injustice that doesn't consist in manifesting the whole of vice. Mm. So th the contrary disposition of justice is not the same as virtue entire, in the same way that yeah. the injustice or the pimp's injustice is not necessarily vice yeah. Uh, yeah. entire. It, we are talking about this kind of particular justice. And he says that there are two contexts where, where this kind of justice and injustice manifest themselves. Mm -hmm. And these are the distributive one and the corrective one or the rectificatory one that has to do with punishment yeah. and rectifying wrongs. Mm -hmm. So he says that when it comes to the distributive context, when do we call people just? So distributive contexts are contexts where we have goods mm -hmm. that are, you could say, rare. Yeah. That are in scarcity. Well, they don't even have to be rare. I mean, the, you know, a vast amount of discussion about distributive justice is about people having enough to eat each week and the complaints about people having to use food banks and things like this. Yeah. And so the question is, well, okay, well, what do these people deserve and how should they have it and who should provide it? And we've got, all manner of uh, moral systems and economic systems set up to deal with this. And it turns out that actually working for your daily bread seems to be the fairest method of distributing things and the most just. Because otherwise you have to take labour from someone else and give to someone who doesn't deserve it. So. Yes, and Aristotle does talk about merit when it comes mm. to distributive justice. He says that in such context, we have goods that are in scarcity. It's not like air. Yeah, yeah, ever, yeah. there's a limited supply. There's a limited supply of, of these goods. And we try to distribute them. And he says that the best way to distribute them is according to merit. Of course, mm -hmm. Aristotle always puts virtue in it as yeah. being the, the main uh, paragon of who, who gets what. Yeah. But he says that if we focus on justice in that context, the just person is the person who wants to get his fair share. Mm -hmm. The unjust person is the person who wants to get more of his more than his fair share of something that is good mm -hmm. and less than his fair share of something that is sort of painful. There's deserved punishment. Yes. Uh, and there's not really a lot to critique him on there, I agree. Yeah, I, I think that's right. Yeah. But the question is here, um, 
whether this is too abstract and whether we need to take extra steps and say, what is our fair share? Mm. What are the criteria that we need to have when it comes to determining the fair share? What is unfair? Well, th this goes back to the contingent nature of much of what Aristotle is saying here. Yes. Uh, you know, this is a basic rule, but you're going to have to use your judgment uh, in the circumstances where it needs to be applied. He can't do that for you. Yeah. And the thing is that I can't get past justice as a property uh, yet. Like, I'm still... Because to, to say justice as a virtue, like people possess virtues. So, you know, you, this person possesses courage. This person possesses fortitude or temperance or wisdom or you know, intellect or whatever it is. And I don't see how one can be described to possess justice. That's the problem. Like, I, justice is a consequence of the way that we act, you know, or lack thereof. The injustice is also a consequence of the way we act. So it necessarily has to be something outside of us, right? It has to be external to ourselves. Um, because otherwise we can just declare a person to be injustice and then deal with them appropriately, which, you know, which we, I don't think anyone wants to be declared to be an injustice. Yeah. You know, and, and that, that you would have to be able to do that if justice were a property of a person. But cannot we say the same thing for, uh, let's say, carriage? Because we could talk about courageous actions. Uh, in the same way sure. that we can talk about just actions. But I think so, that I think the courage is something that a person possesses. Hmm. You know, it's a it's a it's an aspect of their character. Um, a person, what, what, if we use the word just to describe a property, is and they make just decisions and they do just things. Sure, but justice itself, you know. Um, has to be something external, right? It can't be really something internal to a person. Like the disposition to act in a way that we consider just, fair enough, you know, we can go to that. But the, the consequence has to be something else. I think that's very insightful. And I, I don't know if Aquinas makes a similar point, right. but he does seem, and the scholastics, they did boil down and they try to understand what, for instance, Aristotle was saying, and mm. they tried to say what sort of mental state or thing mm. does Aristotle refer to when mm. he talks about this. And I think that in Aristotle, I think there is a, there is a sort of tendency to use the word virtue and by, by implication other virtues mm. to refer simultaneously to dispositions of character and to end products. Yes. So it says, for instance, the virtue of reason is wisdom when he will go to book six, that we'll yeah. touch up in a bit. And he simultaneously uses wisdom to be a disposition, but also the perfected state yeah. of, let's say, the rational part. Yeah. So he seems to use the terms in all sorts of ways, both to capture the power or disposition mm. to do something and to describe the result of the correct exercise of that disposition. Mm. And this can create some some problems in understanding it. And do you think that we could say the same thing with justice, that in, in a sense, we could talk about justice as being a disposition to perform just acts, and in another sense, to use the term justice as a property of the results? Yeah, I think the, ju justice can be described to be a property of the results. Cause it, but to, to be just, I suppose you could say, is to... Um, possess uh, moral wisdom or prudence and so when you are making a decision about what someone deserves when whenever you've given the power to do that uh, that you make decisions that 
are considered to be morally appropriate and morally wise and to apportion to each party in the in the conflict uh, that which others will perceive and and I suppose you could even say that cosmically uh, you know is correct you know in some sort of you know grand universal way or something but that really the others will perceive as being the correct thing and even the person themselves should be like yeah okay I probably deserve that you yeah. know like you know the, the you know the, the person who gets more and gets less should appreciate why they're you know they could recognize that and say yeah that's correct and a person who possesses that virtue that that i think is a virtue because it's a property of yourself this this sort of moral decision making capacity um that that is to be just i think i haven't got a thesis written on this yes. thing but i think off the top of my head i think i would probably stand on that and justice is the state of affairs that's created through that virtue I think uh, distributive justice is a major topic and mm. we should definitely do more discussions on this in, yes. in, in the future. But what is interesting is that, you know, egalitarianism is one position here mm. that very some philosophers have put forward. Uh, Wrongly. Whether there are many or not, I don't know. Yeah. But uh, they have put forward. And I think that it completely goes against what most people would think about such, some cases. So, for instance... There is a sort of propensity to think that fairness and equality are not the same. Well, I agree with that. Because, for instance, I, I also agree with <laughs> yeah. this, but there is, this is something that egalitarianism with respect to distributive justice uh, doesn't see. No, it it's, it's fails to understand the procedural nature of how things come to be. Right? Yes. So it's like, well, I've got two people. They should both yeah. have you know, a loaf of bread each. So, okay, but what if this person has eaten 10 times already today? Yeah. Why does he need a loaf of bread? Or what if this person has never done a day's work in his life? Does he deserve a loaf of bread? Exactly. Yeah. You know? And we frequently talk, when we talk about distributive justice, it seems to me that many people, especially in the left, they talk as if the production of wealth is just something that happens automatically. Yeah, received from the heavens. Yes. Yeah. So it's yeah. just, we start with a, with a produced... Yeah product and we are dividing it yes and they do and aristotle would say no look at the process that created mm. the product in the first place yeah you cannot literally expect that it is fair mm. to have someone who never did anything i mean this is the entire problem of socialism it, yeah. it doesn't have any capacity for wealth generation because all it can see is the extent of the pie and it wants to divvy it up yeah so okay but how did we get the pie in the first place and he, he would say also, exactly, and he would also say that the person who is unjust is also dishonest in that case because mm. they, are not, they don't want to admit, mm. at least in the, in the context, in the, in the public context, yeah. they don't want to admit that their share is more than the one that they, are, that they deserve. Yeah. And they try to invent all these theories that, yeah. that make sort of uh, excuses as to why they deserve it. Mm. Everyone wants to present themselves as fair. Mm. I mean, dishonesty, maybe it's a harsh charge. Uh, maybe we could say um, uh, too optimistic or too... But, but I mean, I, I'm not dishonest? If, for instance, I'm not I do saying not... it's not. I'm not saying it's not. Okay. But I think there are people who don't realize that they lie to themselves and there are people who are just not even aware of alternative moral theories, actually. Yeah. So, some people are just ignorant. So... I mean, maybe we could just call them dishonest, but you know, mistaken, maybe nicer. Some would be mistaken, but some would be dishonest. And definitely, there are definitely some that are dishonest. Aristotle would say <laughs> that it's the dishonest that are the, the really vicious ones. Well, that's and The unfair ones. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
Dishonesty so, is a choice. Yeah, so especially when he talks about justice as being a virtue that is manifesting in a social context, mm. he says that, for instance, a just act necessarily involves at least four terms. Two persons for whom it is in fact just, and two shares will be in which its justice is exhibited. And there will be the same equality between the shares as between the persons, because the shares will be in the same ratio to one another as the persons. For if the persons are not equal, they will not have equal shares. And it is when equals have or are assigned unequal shares, or people who are not equal, equal shares, that quarrels and complaints break out. So he says this, it's fairness involves something like equal treatment for equals, mm. unequal treatment for unequals. Mm. It's not a blind, mm. let's say, uh, egalitarianism that, yeah. you know, everyone is equal and everyone deserves the same treatment. And th this is the thing, and everyone instinctively knows this, if they're going to be honest with themselves. I mean, for example, you know, if you do five hours work and I do 10 hours work, you don't feel that you're being aggrieved by not being paid the same as me. Yeah. Why would you expect it? You didn't work nearly as much. And this brings us to the topic of merit. Hmm. And he uses the notion of merit as being a sort of criterion in terms of mm -hmm. which we assign what our fair share is. And he says, this is also clear from the principle of assignment according to merit. Everyone agrees that justice in distribution must be in accordance with merit in some sense, but they do not all mean the same kind of merit. The democratic view is that the criterion is free birth. The oligarchic view is that wealth, uh, that it is wealth or good family. The aristocratic view that it is excellence. So again, it's he says that most people would agree that we should assign uh, the fair share in terms of merit, but there's the question is, how, does, how do you describe yeah. merit? How yeah. do you describe merit? Yeah. Now, this is one aspect of particular justice, the distributive one. And now we could go to the corrective one. So corrective justice is something like what we are doing when we detect unfair results. Hmm. So he would say presumably that something like the punishment hmm. belongs to corrective justi justice. And there's a question of here what people deserve, especially. And I think that um, this is, he, he has some really interesting thoughts here where he talks about this. And he says that, for instance, we should try to rectify wrongs in the best way possible. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, he, and he says, he gives some mathematical examples that they're maybe a bit uh, arduous to talk about. But he says, for instance, if two people are merit let's say five units of a particular product yeah and you see that one gets seven and the other one has three and you should take two and pretty easy to rectify yeah, it's yeah but the the this this is why i support the death penalty right okay there are some things that some people do that merit uh the death penalty you know it's it's it's, it's one of those things where it's um the overarching moral need for this sort of restorative justice requires it, I think. I think I think there are just some things that are so monstrous to have been done that the ultimate price has to be paid, and that's the only sufficient way of restoring to them what they deserve. 
This raises many interesting questions in this in retributive justice mm. and what the nature of criminal justice is. That I don't think we have time to. No, but touch we should definitely it. go on to this. No, at some but point we as well. should definitely talk yeah. about this. And there's a I, I would say that this is more a, a retributive uh, mm -hmm. notion that says that you know there needs justice, criminal justice is a matter of retribution. Yeah. Yes. So um, I've, I've actually come to that position at this point. Um, okay. I, I've decided that obviously uh, reformation is just not a part of it, and uh, that seems to be all that's left. I think that if we look upon incarceration, hmm. um, it is a form of retribution. Mm -hmm. The question that people ask is whether it's enough or not. It's not. But but that's the issue that we see a, a very. I'm talking about. Know. You know, uh, I'm talking about about very brutal crimes. Yeah, I'm, I'm not talking about you know stealing a loaf of bread. Yeah, but yeah. When it, it is a sort of you know horror spread in society mm. across society, and the question is, when we detect something like that, how can we rectify that? Mm. It's a very big question that definitely we haven't got time for now, but it's yeah. definitely something we should think about. Yeah. So, uh, should we go to in discuss wisdom? Sure. And the intellectual virtues? Mm -hmm. Right. Okay, so wisdom is the subject of book six of Nicomachean Ethics. And it's really interesting because it's one of the, these words that get very frequently forgotten. Wisdom is the topic of symposium number one. Uh, check it by all means. Um, I really enjoyed this uh, discussion and mm. it has gone very well. Good. And um, let's see what Aristotle believed in this. Aristotle likes divisions. Mm -hmm. He very much likes divisions. And he sort of wants to... He's a to... very systematic thinker. Yes. He likes to categorize everything before he starts on any kind of analysis. Yes. Which, honestly, I, 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 there's nothing wrong with being thorough, frankly. He's simultaneously systematic and tries to create taxonomies, mm. but he does have room for the contingent in his philosophy. Mm -hmm. And that is what I like about him. Mm. And this uh, division is very much prevalent in his distinction between theoretical wisdom and practical wisdom that he calls phronesis. Now, wh what he says is that, uh, let's take Plato's division of mm. the soul. Aristotle has had his own uh, way of dividing the soul, and he agreed with Plato that we have a sort of impulsive part, mm. he called it the vegetative part, a sort of spirited part that has to do with the moral uh, virtues, and we also have the rational part. And it has to do with the intellectual virtues. Hmm. And he draws a distinction between the intellectual and the moral virtues. He thinks that the moral virtues are more an issue of habituation. We acquire them by habituating ourselves into performing yeah. the relevant acts. But the intellectual virtues require instruction. Hmm. They're not easy. They are sort of different. They're qualitatively different. Hmm. And he says that there is a very important distinction with within the rational part. He says that there is one part that is the scientific part and the other that is the deliberative part. Mm. And he draws this, the, his grounds for introducing this distinction has have to do with the object that is being cognized. And here is where he shows that he does have room for contingency. Mm. He says that the rational part, the, the scientific part, cognizes that which is eternal and necessary like the, the first principles of the universe, mm. the metaphysical order of the universe, and that which is highest 
uh, in general. The, the noblest things are the things that the theoretical wisdom, the theoretical wisdom grasps. And he says, but we don't deliberate about the necessary. No, no, no one deliberates about whether one plus one equals two. Or all things that are outside of our control. Exactly. No one deliberates on whether they're going to allow the sun to rise this morning. Exactly. It's not your business. And he says that there is another element that is more the deliberative one mm. that has to do with what is sort of up to us, what is under our control. Because mm. if it were necessary, we wouldn't be deliberating about, you would about know. it. But it's, it's, it's only about choice that is directly within your power. That's all we can deliberate about. Yes. Because otherwise it's not deliberation, it's speculation or wishful thinking or something like that. And here is where many people try to say that Aristotle does is sort of committed to a form of free will, whether mm -hmm. compatibilist or not, and to a, to a robust notion of choice. Mm. Uh, he doesn't seem, he's definitely not a necessitarian. No, Someone no, no, who I, yes. Sorry to interrupt, but I, I would have argued that just based on his view on the virtues. I mean, it's entirely about your choice as to how you act. You know, you can choose to be slovenly and vicious, or you can choose to be good and virtuous. I mean, he, it, it's baked into what he's already done. I know, but I have to mention here that I, I'm not a fan of these interpretations, but I have to mention I know, I know. them because Sorry. they're really prevalent, especially in 20th century. Mm. They constantly try to devalue the mm. first person experience. Mm. And they would say something like, well, you may think that you deliberate or you may think that you choose. And Aristotle yeah. has this. Now, that wasn't so much a concern no. back then. I think Aristotle and the ancients were much more willing to take mm. the first person at face value. Yeah. And they weren't that much interested into creating debunking theories that come to us with the hermeneutics of suspicion. I, I hate the kind of Schopenhauerian sort of, well, you know, do you really have free will because you're trapped in a universe with moving markers? And it's like, oh, yeah. shut up. You know, now, now when it comes to, you know, are you going to tip the waiter or not? You know, you've got a choice. You do have the, you could, it could be the other way. You know, it's not necessary that you do one thing or the other. So now you need to weigh up and deliberate the decision, you know? Yeah. So I'm much more with the ancients on this one, where it's just like, yeah, you're being far too German for your own good. They're Schopenhauer, in my opinion. You know, stop thinking it through, <laughs> thinking it so hard. So let's focus on the intellectual virtues. Mm -hmm. He says something like that the virtue of a thing is related to its proper function. Yeah. And this comes back to what we said in the beginning. The virtue is simultaneously used by Aristotle to talk about a disposition and also to talk about the perfected state of something. And here, it's the perfected state is knowledge. Mm. So it says that there are five states of mind by which truth is reached. Art, science, phronesis, wisdom, and intuition. Now, let's talk a bit about them and show why they're different. Now, let's start with science. I will quote from uh, Aristotle. He says, A person has scientific knowledge when his belief is conditioned in a certain way and the first principles are known to him mm. because they're not better known to him than the conclusion drawn from them. He will have knowledge only incidentally. So he thinks that Scientific knowledge is a demonstrative state that that which is known that that it's a sort it involves simultaneously knowledge of first principles and the ability to track what follows from them. Yeah, because I mean you may you may be you may be aware that um, 
you know, mixing two liquids together produces a certain kind of effect. But you can't call that scientific knowledge if you don't know why that is the case. So, yes. Yeah. And he says that there's a distinction between them because scientific knowledge is more inferential. Mm -hmm. It has to do with drawing inferences from things that are more, that are better known. So, and he would come and say that, let's look at every argument. Let's look at any argument that people might make. They're giving you reasons why you should believe something. Now, if we try and formalize a, a, an argument, we will see that they have, you know, one, two, three, four, wh however, uh, whatever number of premises mm. from which something follows. Yeah. And the question comes when we evaluate arguments, okay, but how do you know that? How yeah. do you know the premise? And this launches the skeptic regress of justification. Yeah. They, they say, okay, you come and you give me a particular uh, conclusion that you think I should accept it. Mm. Why should I accept it? You cannot say you should accept it because it is, that's it. Yeah. You need to give further reasons. And then they can just challenge those reasons and those reasons. Exactly. So the goal, at least the way rationalists have seen it, and Aristotle see, here seems to be in, fa in favor of that, mindset mm. it says that somehow this regress stops mm. we can stop it by intuition mm. so scientific knowledge has to do with inferences mm. it has to do sort of drawing inferences and demonstrating how something follows from something else mm. but intuition has to do with our grasp of that something else so he says something like scientific knowledge consists in forming judgments about things that are universal and necessary and demonstrable truths. Mm. And every kind of scientific knowledge, because this involves reasoning, depends upon first principles. It follows that the first principles of scientific truths cannot be grasped either by science or by art or by prudence. For the scientific truth is demonstrable, whereas art and prudence are only concerned with the variable. Nor again are the first principles the concern of the wise man because the wise man possesses the ability to demonstrate some things. Mm. So if the state of mind by means of which we reach the truth and are never led into error with regard to things both variable and invariable are science, prudence, wisdom and intuition. And if it cannot be any of the three of them, namely prudence, science and wisdom, what remains is that state of mind that apprehends the first principle as intuition. Yeah, because I, mean, the, the, I mean the point of science surely is the, the predictive power of it. If you can't actually demonstrate that, okay, if you know, if this and this happens, then this will be the C will be the consequent. Then it wasn't science, right? It, was a, yes. it wasn't. It was nothing. Uh, so if it doesn't have any predictive power, um, and that's essentially what he's saying there, isn't it? Yeah. It has to be able to be demonstrated. And there's a further one that is theoretical wisdom, and he thinks that theoretical wisdom is the virtue of theoretical reason. Mm -hmm. It's it is sort of the mathematics. Yes. And so, not, not necessarily. It, it sure. involves also mathematics. But it's, it's the, just to summarize, it's like, you know, things that aren't in the real world, basically. And he, he also brings the element of value in here. Hmm. And he says, it is clear then from what has been said that wisdom is scientific and intuitive knowledge of what is by nature most precious. That is what people like Anaxagoras and Thales and men like them are wise but not prudent when they observe them to be ignorant of their own advantage. So he says that there's a distinct, to be wise, you have to have intuition and scientific knowledge of the most 
valuable and noble things in the universe. Mm. And he thinks that these are the metaphysical truths, mm. especially in the metaphysics he's talking about them. But he thinks that this is completely different. You can be prudent without being wise, and you oh, can yeah. be wise without being prudent. Yes. And I, and I think that's true, to be honest, in yeah. a way. Like you, you, can, you can have wisdom, uh, but you might not make good decisions, you know? Yes. Like you, you, you may well know, and I, I you know, um, wis wisdom being a component of which is time means that uh, there are lots of older people who are actually quite wise in the ways of the world, uh, and yet they still maybe drink or smoke or take drugs or something, you know, like, they, and they, they know that's not prudent. Yeah. And yet somehow they're in that position anyway. And so it's like, okay. Here's where a bit, a bit an interesting difference that Aristotle would say that it's not about knowing the ways of the world. It's mm. about knowing the, the higher truths. Uh, well, uh, and he's they, almost theological in this. They, they may well have access to that sort of knowledge as well. Yes. But I, I know people who I know know better uh, yes. who are not prudent. And yeah. you know they know better. Yes. And, uh, anyway. and prudence for him is something different. It has mm. to do with the contingent realm of human action. Yeah. The contingent realm of uh, action, choice, deliberation, decision and decision-making, as you said. Wise decision-making. And for him, phronesis is, is something like knowledge of good ends mm. and the ability to deliberate about them. Yeah. To watch the full video, please become a premium member at lotuseaters.com.